A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. On episode 35 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're revisiting GDPR with Jacques von Niekerk. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Today we have Jacques von Niekerk, Wonderman Data CEO, on to talk about the effects of GDPR on marketers. That's today in the first part of our interview. Next time, we'll dissect Amazon, Apple, and Google's points of view in all the chatter about privacy. So we'll get to part one of that chat in just a moment. We've got episodes on conversational marketing, doing a rebrand, telling stories with data, along with a collaboration I'm undertaking on innovation. We might launch a separate podcast for chats about that, but we'll have a pilot sometime in November or December. Thought maybe we could get it launched sooner, but schedules are tough this time of year with Thanksgiving just around the corner, believe it or not, here in the U.S. So stay tuned. On to Jacques von Niekerk. Jacques and I first chatted last May about GDPR and what we could expect. Now about five months out from GDPR, I thought it would make sense to check in with him to see what the effects have been. Jacques is CEO of Wonderman Data, the very firm that pretty much invented direct marketing, so he speaks from experience and a broad client roster. This chat was so interesting and there was so much to talk about in the news that I asked him back for a part two to chat about all that. But here's part one first. Let's get to it. Jock, welcome back to the podcast. How was your summer? Very good. Thank you. Busy, but that's the way I like it. And it's really good to be back on the show. GDPR was what? Five, six months ago? 25th of May. And, you know, it happened and the world's still here. I've still got a pulse. Um, you know, how have marketers fared over the last five or so months? That's right. I remember, I remember you and I said, you know, is the world going to end? No, it's not <laughs> going to end. But, but I will say, let me get onto the marketers in a second, But because I, I think there's a couple of kind of quick kind of um, baselining of what's happened since the 25th that's probably going to be really important. I, I think what we've seen is the complaints should it spike, and I would say the regulators are reaching for their fine books. Um, right. I think that's really what's happened, but, but the world 
world hasn't ended, but we've seen some interesting things in, in the United Kingdom. When GDPR came into effect, those first couple of weeks, the regulators there, it's called the ICO, um, had a 160% increase in, in the first few weeks in kind of access requests. And, um, and, and many of the other regulators are, have been receiving a lot of requests. So they're trying to figure out, you know, exactly what is legitimate, which are the ones that they really need to focus on. And that's why at some level, it's not like there's been a plethora of of enforcements taking place, but it's not like complaints have not been filed. But we ultimately believe the enforcement will go where the complaints are. And early on, that tends to be against the big walled gardens or the larger platforms that draw most of the attention. And I think as you and I talked about a little bit the last time, you know, all the attention that Facebook had attracted to itself and uh, Google to an extent, even prior to GDPR, uh, you know, they've they've already been on notice before this happened. And wherever there's kind of any geopolitical or political campaigning associated with the platforms, uh, you know, for example, the Crimson Hexagon and Cambridge Analytica positions mm-hmm. uh, that Facebook found themselves in, I think that's still going to play out because most recently the ICO, ICO in the UK has formally taken GDPR enforcement against a Canadian company called AIQ. And, you know, they've been seen to kind of use commercial behavioral targeting for political campaigning as part of the Brexit campaign in the UK. So it's quite interesting that that was one of the first bits of enforcement that's taken place. But I think equally in this vein, you know, Equifax and Facebook both paid fines of about half a million pounds under the previous Data Protection Act, which preceded GDPR. But uh, I think you would have seen it in the press. Facebook had another data breach at the end of September involving 50 million customers. So the big headline is, will they potentially now be fined under GDPR? And if so, people estimate that that could be up to 1.6 billion. Oh, so that's really that's a real number. Yeah, that's a real number. And is that going to happen? I don't know. It's this is the interesting one for us to keep an eye on. But to your first question, what does this mean for the marketers? And I, I'd say on the ground floor, kind of away from the headlights and the headlines um, of the World Gardens, uh, I think it's more a case of partly sunny than than partly cloudy. Um, yeah. I'd say sunny in that um, you know many are, are are using this as an opportunity to spring clean the, and get their house in order. Um, I'd say there is a bit of cloud around because what we've seen practically is happening is there's almost a two-tier reality playing out for marketers. Some are so cautious and feel they're so behind on really having a good handle on their first party and their customer data that they are sadly, in my opinion, they are defaulting more to contextual advertising. Right. So so, so for those listeners who don't know, contextual is basically using content triggers uh, as a way to personalize your marketing or your, your marketing campaign or your creative or your content. Uh, and that's not necessarily the best proxy, in my opinion, for personalization, true personalization or, or great custom experience. And an offer, contextual advertising can go horribly wrong. So I think there's a sadly a quick kind of default to contextual advertising as a just a quick means to get campaigns out and to attempt personalization. But I, I do think... Fortunately, some very brave marketers, you know, are really deepening their efforts around first-party data. They're thinking about deterministic data sources. 
Mm. And they're realizing that if you get on top of it, it's actually easier to maintain consent uh, wherever you have a direct relationship with, with the customer. And ultimately, if you have a di- direct relationship, it's, it's a better way to drive value and, and be closer to your customers uh, and, and not be disintermediated, which, right. which I think is the way marketers need to think of GDPR. So what changes have you seen you know, on the marketing landscape after GDPR? What's, what's changed? Yeah, so as a data guy, you know, I, I'm going to have to bring some data points to this conversation, right? So, um, and that's why I have you here, so. <laughs> Mark. Yeah, so I think the first thing we've seen, and this is a very interesting bit of research that came out of the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, is that we've seen a, over a 22% drop in third-party cookie use across European uh, pages. Right. So that's pretty dramatic, you know, just under a quarter. I think that number's going to gradually increase over time. So uh, for marketers, this means that an over-dependence on third-party cookies as part of your marketing arsenal is going to be a problem. So how do you do personalization without being solely dependent on third-party cookies, which gets back back to my contextual marketing point, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then one which I didn't see coming, and this is from Neiman Labs, was that over a thousand US news sites are unavailable to European readers two months after GDPR. And then some of these are pretty substantial publications, the LA Times and Boston Globe as an example. So, you know, for a marketer, it kind of limits their, especially if you're a global marketer trying to do any kind of geo-targeting or trying to target expatriates or trying to understand people across specific publications regardless of where they're based it limits your reach so so i think that's making it a little bit harder uh, in the in the near term for marketers and then another shakeout we're seeing which we anticipated but i really think it's it's better you know there's been a massive rise in programmatic media basically auction-based buying and selling of not only media inventory and content but also the data and the customers that come with that content and we are seeing a lot of the demand side platforms taking quite a stance on the supply side or the sell side platforms. And they're trying to make sure there isn't this long string of people reselling other people's content. Right. So there's this notion of only one or maximum two hops in the process. And I think for anybody in media and publishing, I, I think that's a, that's a good development. And there's also um, a lot less manipulation of, of the media auction process taking place. And again, I think that's very positive. So, you know, I've heard horrible stories of people selling media inventory as a as a broker or a reseller to a site that doesn't even run video, as an example, yeah. right? Just to get that higher CPM. So I think all those things are being flushed out. And, and it's one of those unintended but positive consequences of GDPR is that the whole ad tech ecosystem has really taken a long, hard look at itself, um, which actually goes broader than just the the initial intentions of GDPR, in my opinion. And and again, I think that's positive. And then we're seeing many of the major ad tech players for kind of of marketing cloud type um, solutions are working very hard to comply and making it easier for clients to, to manage permission. And, you know, just speaking to my team over the last couple of weeks, we, we are definitely seeing an increase in requests for proposals out in the market where clients um, are looking to customer data platforms or customer engagement platforms uh, as a way to invest in and manage their first party data across channels to take a more omni-channel view because they're realizing 
they can't be overly dependent on digital third-party based channels. They've got to think about everything, their own estate, their own apps, right. uh, their own uh, call centers, their own websites. Um, so again, I think that's, that's a very positive development for the marketplace. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. One thing that occurs to me is, is Brexit going to affect GDPR? Will Great Britain conform to GDPR? Is there any understanding in that area? That's a good question. So uh, at the moment, for all intents and purposes, you know, the United Kingdom is still abiding by GDPR. The example I gave you was the ICO, which is the British enforcement agency for GDPR, is actually proactively enforcing and taking a position there. Yeah, and they they were one of the leading lights in helping shape and develop GDPR. So, right. you know, so for now, it's seen as, as part of the uh, GDPR um, kind of block and process, if you like. I'm wondering whether back in the spring when we said that there's a way to look at GDPR as a positive, maybe were we overly optimistic or have you had clients that, you know, look at this as a win? Yeah, maybe we were, Mark, to be honest. <laughs> maybe it's because it was early spring and, as I recall, it was a beautiful sunny day when we had the call. Um, <laughs> I think it's a bit early to call victory. But with that said, we are seeing kind of meaningful progress. Um, you know, the points I made above about how the whole value chain, specifically on the technology and the media and the data side, is, is starting to clean itself out. But we are seeing marketers putting a real focus on their first-party data, but specifically about data ownership. Who owns the data? How does that impact my customer relationship and my customer experience? How do I apply data in a better, more meaningful way? You know, so I think there's this real notion that if you really think about customer experience and customer design, you have to put data in front, front and center as part of that process. You know, it, it's, you know, if you want to really deliver personal and more human-centered marketing, people-based marketing, if, if, if you will, people-based marketing needs people-based data. And I think the smart marketers have always known that. And they're seeing GDPR and privacy by design as a filter to support that aspiration. Right. So we, we are seeing clients um, taking that position. So I think it's, it's, it's meaningful progress. Is it victory? Not quite yet, because I think we're only a couple of months post the summer. We're now in the fall. And I think between now and maybe a year or so out, I, I think the landscape will look significantly different, given some of the points I've shared earlier. Okay, let's let's move to the U.S. where we are right now. It's actually a sunny fall day here in the U.S. where I am, and there is a bit of action going on with California's Consumer Privacy Act, mm. and maybe even some some hints at maybe something at the federal level. Unclear, mm. but how do you think that could shape up, and how would that affect mm. marketers in the good old U.S. of A. Mm. Uh, I spoke with our chief privacy officer, Rachel um, Glasser, about this. And, you know, our, our view is, as marketers and people in the industry, it will be very hard for us to manage data protection laws for 50 different states. And I think it will be very confusing for the public uh, and a real challenge for businesses and, and marketers at large to, to understand and, and comply. So, you know, maybe uh, a federal legislation will be more beneficial to both marketers and end consumers and the public. But one standard, you know, let's say the California process and legislation goes through, 
that would then be the highest standard. And by default, people would almost have to apply that, right? Um, and, uh, you know, there are some nuances and difference between what is being proposed in California versus GDPR. And I think that's where it starts getting difficult for marketers, you know, and, and we don't want marketers in the industry at large to kind of just lose kind of faith in the whole process because it becomes so fragmented and so complex. Sure. Um, because ultimately this is trying to protect the public. And I think that's a positive thing. So, you know, we, we even seeing in, in Brazil, they're starting to talk about similar type legislation. So it's starting to happen on a larger scale. And, and I think as the benefits of GDPR become clearer, I think we'll see more countries at a federal and national level outside of the EU uh, adopt similar kind of privacy uh, legislation and, and, and privacy acts. Do you think there are industry groups and uh, companies by themselves that might just say, well, let's look at GDPR and the you know California Consumer Privacy Act and maybe what's going on in Brazil or elsewhere and synthesize that so that there's kind of a standard for, for companies to adhere to in the absence of legislation? Industry bodies are are definitely getting involved. You know, I I know the the uh, you know the DMA is getting involved, the AIA is getting involved here in the US. So a lot of the industry bodies are trying to lean in, especially when the California legislation was proposed. They you know there was a, a real concerted effort. And in speaking to some of the and quite interesting outside of the normal industry bodies, a lot of the technology companies in the ecosystem are all getting together and saying hang on, let's start self-regulating, let's start self-imposing certain things here right. to make sure that we can drive this in a positive way. And again, I think this is all positive for the industry. You know, I think digital grew so quickly and it fragmented the market and it, and it opened up so much data as a consequence that there's now a little bit of a consolidation process and a little bit of a maturing of the industry. And I think that's, that's again, that's, that's positive for everybody. Yeah. And you, I mean, you make the point about, you know, the growth of data and it kind of coming out of nowhere in the last 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. And it's in the, these companies live on their data. So mm-hmm. having good practices around it seems to make mm-hmm. solid business sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Completely, completely. You know, there was a, there was a, a beautifully published article about a year or so ago in the economist that, that referred to, to data as the new oil. I, I don't know if you right. saw that, but yeah. But that analogy, you know, kind of stuck with me. And, you know, if, if data is the new oil, then the last thing we want is, um, uh, you know, oil spills everywhere. And right. I think that's what's been happening, you know, to use that analogy. So how do we more in a more safe and more environmentally friendly way mine the oil, refine the oil and distribute clean fuel? Right. Yeah. And I think at the moment, not only are we having a whole lot of data spills, i.e., you know, what happened with Facebook and Equifax and a whole lot of the others. But we're also not necessarily refining, distributing that oil in, in the most uh, safest and cleanest way that we possibly can. So so yeah. I think the whole industry is starting to acknowledge that there's there's more work to be done. Yeah? And, 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 and we weren't in this position, you know, 18 months ago, even 12 months right. ago, I'd say. I, I guess the only difference is that in 50, 60, 70 years, we're going to run out of oil. But <laughs> exactly. We're, we're not going to run out never, of data. Data is going to be here forever. And it's going Completely. to determine people's lifestyles. It's going to determine pretty much every aspect of your life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like the air we breathe. Absolutely. 
Well, Jacques, as always, thanks for joining me here on Confessions of a Marketer. It was a pleasure having you here. Likewise. Thank you so much, Mark. All the best. Thanks to Jacques for being here. As I noted, next time, Jacques and I will dissect Amazon, Apple, and Google's points of view in all the chatter about privacy. Stay with us. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2018. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.